Good morning, everybody. I got the microphone set up correctly this service, so that's a win. Ah, so good to be here. I should probably be attending the um, New Year, new, Next Step New Year's class since I've been here so much. Uh, <laughs> nah, so good to be here. Uh, my family sends our, um, their love. They won't be here today, but it's always a joy and honor to be with my Red Hills family. And so, as Lane said, um, continuing on the series of questions, and of course, first of all, before I get to this, I have to say I love you. I'm honored you are my brother, and I'm so grateful um, for you in my life, and I also hate you so much, and I love you even more. Um, <laughs> I feel like we have this, yeah, I'm grateful for Lane. We have this relationship where, like, in ministry, he usually calls, actually, 99.9% .9 of the time when it comes to preaching, he's like, hey, I want you to, I'm like, oh, man, awesome. Hey, I want you to tackle this. I'm like, you suck. <laughs> like, just leave me alone. Can we be friends like I have coffee? Like, I don't want to talk about this kind of stuff. But anyway, I'm always honored. I have the humble opportunity task to talk about grief and loss. Say grief and loss. Yeah, everybody's like, okay, I shouldn't have came this Sunday. <laughs> Anna Emanuel's here. I definitely shouldn't have come this Sunday. No, I, I had the honor of talking about grief and loss. And before I get into um, the scriptures this morning, when it comes to grief and loss, um, hence the series questions, usually the response to grief and loss is why. I'm sure a lot of you have asked God this question, why? And I'm going to preach the shortest message I've ever preached in my entire life. Are you ready? You ready for your answer why? They're like, please. She's like, please, tell me. I'm, I'm waiting so bad. <laughs> I'm looking at you the whole time. We're on the same place. I love it. She's like. <laughs> Here's the answer. I don't know. Is that good enough? <laughs> She's like, oh, my gosh, really? Seriously, though. I don't know. I don't know why. Quite frankly, I may not ever know why grief and loss is what it is. And I'm not going to act or profess like I do have the answer. But one thing I do know, and I pray that as we go through this this morning, that we can shift our perspective to not necessarily dwelling in the why, but looking at what and how. Ooh, it's deep. I love it. Not necessarily focusing on the why. Like, there's questions that I still ask God that I probably will never get an answer to in this life. But one thing I do know is through grief and loss is who I've become, what I've learned, and how God has been present in some theologians would call the dark night of the soul. And I'm sure a lot of you can say and reflect in 30 minutes, if I go long, 35, 40, 50, 60 minutes, um, can be able to test to. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you draw near and dear to the brokenhearted. And God, I would ask you would meet us in this moment. We make space for you today. 
We welcome you into our griefs and our sorrows. We welcome you into the painful moments of our lives, God. We welcome you into the things that we would rather shy away from. And we welcome your life and that you would bring transformation and healing. In Jesus, my name, we pray. Everybody says, Amen. All right, so turn to the book of Job, not Job, but Job. It's funny. Uh, I uh, funny story. Uh, Lane, because I see you guys do a Spanish translation service, and so um, as I translated my message, which I wasn't supposed to do, it translated it Job to work or job, like the translation. And then one of my points, it translated to some. Any, we'll we'll make joke about it. I want to make this somewhat lively, okay? It's just bear with me. But Book of Job, chapter one. When you have it, say, "I have the word of God." You got to say it just like that. Oh yes, let's go. And it's going to be up on the screen too. So I'm going to read the first chapter of Job, and it's going to set up the message for today. So starting at verse one. Actually, let me let me get to the word of God. Starting in verse 1. In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. Say Job. Oh, you guys are in it. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 uh, 3, camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. Let me park right here for a quick second. Some people call Job like the Elon Musk, Bill Gates of this time, not character-wise, wealth-wise. He was a baller, billionaire, like wealthy, stacks on stacks, getting his paper in the name of the Lord. Let me stop. Let me stop. He was a wealthy man. Continuing. I, I got to give some more context. I have to give the context. Verse 4. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. And they would invite their, um, their son, uh, their three daughters, their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Job was a wealthy man, and Job was a man of character. He was a man who loved God. So much so that he would petition on behalf of his family in case they sinned in the midst of their celebration fun activities that he would go before the God, before God and say, Lord, would you forgive my family if they did anything? Like he's a man of character. I, I'm painting a picture here. So wealthy, man of character, blameless, upright, loves Jesus or loves the Lord. Moving on, verse 6. One day the angels came to pre present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him? and his household, and everything he has. Like he's saying, like, man, he has all this stuff. Of course he's not going to deny you. Everything's great. He's wealthy. He's balling. Can you move this stuff away from what we're going to get? And, and I don't have enough time to get into the theology of, of this whole interaction because it's some deep stuff. That's another message for another time, if I'm allowed to come back. Uh, 
<laughs> have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well. What? That's okay. Then everything he has in, is in your power, but, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm, only, I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raids, raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants in the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Let me pause right here before I get to my first point. Job, man of character, man of blame. Um, blameless, upright before the Lord, someone who loved God. Satan is allowed to attack him, bring health, um, unhealth on him, and literally loses everything in a day. Like blow after blow after blow after blow. You lose your cattle, you lose your livestock. Now your children are gone. Your servants are gone. He has nothing. How many of you feel like life has hit you like that? Where it's been like one thing after another, like I lost this, I lost this, lost my business, lost this, 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 this. Like, God, what else? Like, this is Job's life right now. He woke up one morning, did, as he says, his regular customs. Like, I'm going before the Lord. I'm worshiping him. I'm laying sacrifices at the altar on the behalf of my family. And then, boom, I lose everything. Life oftentimes has... The unexpected, huh? But here's what I like to get to my first point. My first point is true worship comes from deep sorrow. This is a different perspective here. Job in the midst of chaos, sorrow, destruction, devastation, significant loss, lost all of his wealth, his family, his livestock, everything. His response is this, verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by char charging God with wrongdoing. Job's immediate response was worship. And quite frankly, we see where his faith was. Sorrow revealed something. Mm. Sorrow revealed something. Grief and loss revealed something in this moment. 
grief and loss showed something to us. And, and, and I, my friend Andrew, he preached on this recently, and we, we talked a little bit. He was like, man, I'm just going to take your whole message so I don't have to preach. Because I don't want to go through my own grief and loss. We, we were joking. Anyway, I didn't take his message, so you know. But he said this. He said, the book of Job is God's wisdom for suffering. We see a literal blueprint to suffering in the book of Job. And quite frankly, you don't see God answer the question, why? Therefore, I'm not going to give you the answer, why? I can't. But we do, like I said before, we see what and how. And one thing that we see, a perspective shift that we see in Job and how he handles and carries his grief is worship. His worship was shaped and was birthed from deep sorrow. Worship is is more like laying prostrate before the Lord than the collective that we have, which this is a part of the greater everything, the greater scheme of things, of us coming together and worshiping God and declaring his goodness and lifting our hands. But worship is a posture. Like we see Job fall to his knees, tear his clothes, shave his head, and worship the Lord. My prayer for you is that your posture, as you navigate your own losses, as you navigate your own grief, as you navigate your own losses, your own sorrow, is that it would begin to shift towards worship. Because taking this perspective is having an eternal perspective instead of an earthly perspective. You're fixing your gaze and your attention on the God of the universe who created all things, who brought life into existence from a breath, instead of looking at our current situation and worshiping our current situation. True worship comes from deep sorrow. I don't know about you, other than the same song that you, that you I'm speaking about myself, go back to when you're going through a hard season, I'm like, oh, yep, put that one on. I know I'm going to make it through. For me, it's oftentimes Maverick City and, and some other things. Anyway, but it's in moments when you've encountered the Lord is what carries you through painful situations and painful seasons where it's like, God, this makes no sense. Job lost everything. I, I lost a child. Speaking of my own story, I've experienced child loss. My wife and I have experienced miscarriage. My family has experienced sickness and disease and abuse, and molestation, and rape. But it's in moments of deep pain is where we saw, where I've seen God come through and intervene and say, I will carry you through this. And it's from those moments where I'm able to look back and testify, God, you met me in my deep sorrow, therefore all I can do is worship. God, you met me in my depression. You met me when I was suicidal. All I can do is worship because you met me there. God, you met my family going through sickness and disease and mental illness and and all of the different things. God, all I can do is worship because you met me there. In this moment, we see Job turn his sorrow to praise. There's pain that comes. There's praise that comes from pain, y'all. Praise in the pain. So that's one thing that we can look at, Job. I want to make sure I get to the other points so we can sit here all day. Number two. So we have true worship comes from deep sorrow. Number two, God loves authenticity. One of the crazy things about this is the next chapter we see 
Job's wife say, like, you still, I'm paraphrasing, you still love God? Like, why? And he's like, oh, that's such a foolish thing for you to say. Like, God, God is still good. He's still holy. He still works. Even though it doesn't make sense, we lost everything, but I'm not going to deny my relationship with God. And God loves authenticity. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. We have access to the Lord. And he wants us, as Scripture tells us, to cast our cares upon him because he cares about it. He cares about you. Job, in the next 30 chapters, does this. Where he's literally laying and saying some things that I, quite frankly, would never say. Like, that's just how bold and authentic he's like, God, curse the day I was born. <laughs> I would rather be dead than be here. Like, how often have you felt like this? Like, man, I would rather not be here than go through this. This is unbearable for me. But God welcomes it. He welcomes your authenticity because you get to bring it to him. And where we see the difference, well, I'll get into point three here in a second. But Job's friends had a finite view of God because they were trying to make meaning and make sense of something that was unexplainable. Hmm. How often do we do that? Where we end up going to, the, ooh, this is the nugget. I didn't share this, for, this, this. But how often do we go immediately to our circumstances and the people around us instead of God first? God wants you to bring the thing that is grieving you. It's in the moments of grief where you get to encounter the presence of God. So bring it to him. He's a loving father that cares deeply. And I'm sure, like I know, like it's so hard to even think about this because in this moment we see, like, God allow this to happen. And even for my own personal life, it, it was in the moments of when, I lost, when my wife and I lost our son five, almost six years ago was when I saw my relationship with the Lord become very real. And I've been walking with the Lord for over 10 years now. But it was that moment, that was a pivotal moment for me, where I did do some deconstruction. I didn't destroy my faith. But if anything, I saw the truth of who God is in his word and through community in that moment. And that's what authenticated my faith. When I look back to 2018, I see God met me there. I was like, God, if you can meet me here, I know you can carry me through now. And you care about the things that I care about. So I'm not going to go to the Lord and be like, oh, dear gracious heavenly father, I'm here for you, to you again. I'm deeply hurting and sorrowful, but God, would you be okay with me saying this one thing? Like, you don't got to sugarcoat your, sugarcoat your pain, y'all. Like, go to him boldly with confidence to the throne of grace. You have a confidence and assurance in the Lord because he's not going to shun you away. He's torn the veil. We have access to him at all times. So don't sugarcoat. He loves your authenticity. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. Somebody needs, somebody's first step towards healing is bringing it to him. Somebody's first step towards processing through grief is actually bringing it to him. I know us dudes have a hard time sharing and naming our emotions. 
Emotions was like a foreign language for me in this past season where my wife like, babe, what are you feeling? Uh, I don't know. Say something. I don't know. I'm like, I'm an emotional guy. If you guys haven't noticed already, I cry, but I couldn't, I couldn't name my tears before. Like, what are you feeling? I don't know. I'm just so emotional. <laughs> but it's, it's when you walk with the Lord and you begin to slow down enough to recognize what you're feeling. This is from my therapy session. I'm, so this is like a big collective therapy session. Here we go. Feeling is healing. When you feel, you get to heal because when you feel, you get language. That was so good. Y'all ain't ready for that. Y'all ain't ready for that. Feeling is healing, and feeling is necessary because you get a language. You're able to put words to emotion. And when you do that, that's how you get to be authentic with the Lord. You're like, ah, God, I feel anxiety. What's causing my anxiety? I don't know what's coming ahead of me. I don't know what tomorrow looks like when I bury my child. Hmm. God, I don't know what emotions I'm going to feel the day after when we go home without a baby. But I trust you. God wants that level of authenticity with your relationship. So somebody's first step today is being that authentically real with him because that's when you get to encounter him. Job, because he brought his authenticity to the Lord, he got a response from the Lord. And that's when God was able to say, not why, but were you here when I created the heavens and the earth? Do you have the power to sustain the cosmos? No, you don't. I'm, I'm God. No, he didn't do that. Just, that's just my interpretation. Let me stop. Number three, who you surround yourself with matters. Job's friends started off right in chapter two. They started off right. Um, they, they began to live out Romans when it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In chapter 2 it says they sat with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. If you are, if you are someone that is close to somebody processing through grief and loss or suffering, your response should be sit with them. Draw near. Do not allow your discomfort to keep you from being a blessing. Sit with them. Job's friends took that step with sitting with them. They cried for seven days. That's so exhausting. Like crying and being emotional is, I hate it. That's why I didn't want to speak this morning. I'm like, I have to cry. I don't want to feel it. Like, Lane, I want to kick you in the shame when I see you. <laughs> they sat with him. But we see happen in the next some odd chapters is that because of their finite view of God, we see them do damage in this moment. Elaine, I'll have you come up again. So this, this is an example of what happens when we don't process our own grief. Because I want you to catch this. I heard this quote from Pete Scazzaro, and he says, people who have not processed or absorbed their own grief and integrated it into their lives, they are dangerous. And I'm going to give you an example. So this, this little shiny plastic Kirkland bottle represents grief. This is Lane's grief. I'm going to be delicate. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is Lane's grief. And I want you to think of this as like something delicate, precious, fragile, something of great, great value. And I'm representing as someone, you can view me as an infant child, someone who is very immature, someone who just learned how to walk, for crying out loud. 
So hand, hand me this. So Lane is trusting me with entering into his life as he grieves and he's, as he mourns, as he processes his own pain. And because of my immaturity and infancy, I drop it. I'm dangerous. That's what happens when we don't surround ourselves with the right people. That's what happens when you are not careful with your brokenness. Because not everybody's on the right to your story, as Brene Brown would say. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been going through a lot of counseling, okay? <laughs> I'm a basket case. You can sit down. <laughs> I, I'm thirsty. <laughs> this is delicate. Don't hurt it. This is what happens when we're not careful. If we surround ourselves with the wrong people, we're subject for our grief to be mishandled. Job in this moment has friends in their finite view of God begin to say things on the behalf of God that God did not ever say. In the context of this, which I love the book of Job, and I saw this of recent, is that Job is actually one of the older books or t- books of the Bible. And if you look at it chronologically, it kind of fits in, in some part of Genesis. So at this p- particular time, outside of the fall, suffering was associated with sin. So in their understanding, they see Job suffering. Their automatic response was, oh, you sinned. Therefore, this is why hell has come upon you. But if you don't have friends who've been through some things, come on. If you don't have friends that have walked through the dark night of, soul, of the soul, come on. If you don't have people that have walked through the, the worst of the worst in your life, you will, you will have people in your life who do not understand how to carry this treasured gift of grief and loss because we're going to talk about how tr- precious this thing is. So be careful of who you, who you surround yourself with. Job's friends kind of, and if you guys don't remember the last message I preached about murmuring and complaining, they kind of did that. Murmuring and complaining is like a collective thing, like almost like gossip where you're just talking around in circles. You're like, oh, Job, well, oh, guys, it, man, Elphaz, Job, he must have sinned. Like, it's his daughter. I, yep, it's his daughter. We got, Job, you sin, bro, you sin. This is why life sucks for you. You're paying the penalty. It's like, what are you talking about? But that's not the case. We see the sovereignty of God in this. But one thing that God loved was that going back to point number two, God loved his authenticity, even though he said some off the wall stuff. But Job's friends never went to God. They brought their understanding to him. And that's where God correct them later on in the book. So number number four, be careful what you name your season. This, this, This will blow your mind. This will blow your mind. Be careful what you name your season. Genesis 35, 16 to 18 says this. Then they moved on from Bethel while they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty, and she was having great difficulty in childbirth. The midwife said to her, don't despair, for you're having another son. She breathed her last breath, and she was dying. She named her son Benoni, son of my sorrow. But his father named him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Rachel, Jacob or Israel's wife, is giving birth. And out of the deep sorrow and deep grief and pain of her situation, names her child after her circumstance. And as you guys have have an idea, names have power. Names have significance, especially in the Bible. Like a name represented something. Like you, you see some of the prophets name 
their children after like the, the destruction of Israel, which is crazy. Like you are, my name is judgment. Like, what's your name? My name's judgment. <laughs> my name's destruction. I'm like, I'm staying away from you. You're crazy. <laughs> You're the crazy uncle. I don't want nothing to do with it. Let me stop. Let me stop. But names have power. She named her son after her situation. How often do we name our seasons based off of what we're going through? How often do we identify with the season of life that we're going through? I'm I'm just, I'm always going to be a grieving father. So because of a season of, as as the scripture would say, a momentary affliction, I named and identified something and I stuck my feet in the sand with it. Oh, we've experienced, you know, mental illness or we've experienced grief and loss. So that's always going to be the trajectory of our, we lost a business. So therefore, I'm always going to be a poor business owner. Like we've identified with those seasons of life. Be careful what you name your seasons. Because it's a season. Seasons change. We're coming on spring. Yesterday was 65. Man. And isn't it so cool to see like the change of like it snowed. Like I live in Sandy. And so we got like a thousand feet of snow. <laughs> My kids were out of school, no joke, for two weeks. I'm like, this sucks. Like, I'm grieving right now, okay? I can't even get out of the driveway to go to work without like fishtailing and drifting, even though that was kind of fun. Any, anyway, <laughs> I'm so off track. But be careful what you name your seasons. Watch this though. His father, Israel, Named him Benjamin, son of my right hand. He changed the trajectory of his life. And watch this. Because he had his own encounter with the Lord, because he had his own name change, Jacob once was a deceiver. That was his identity. He was marked, his name was marked him in a sense. That's how he lived his life. But he wrestled with God, had an encounter with God, ends up walking with a limp and gets a name change, Israel. And because he had the ability, because he experienced, sorry, the power of God and a name change, he now had the ability to change the name of his son. You have the ability to change the name of your season. That, ooh, that went over your head. You have the ability to change the name of your season. Yes, you may be going through grief and loss. Yes, you may be going through depression. Yes, you may be going through mental illness. Yes, you may have experienced a breach in relationship, mis- mistrust. Yes, your heart may have been broken. Yes, 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 yes. But you have the power through the Holy Spirit that dwells within you to rename and reclaim a season. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap this morning. So be careful what you name your seasons. Number five, grief changes you. It does. Grief changes you. This is what it says in Romans. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God loves us. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's power that comes from pain. You get something from grief if you let it. Key that, key that though, if you let it. You get something. Job got a reward. Chapter 42, we see Job get time double fold back. I mean, I'm still not satisfied with that. I'm like, well, I still lost my kids. That's a different sermon. So that's two more messages, sorry. <laughs> But there's a reward. You want to know what it is? 
him. You get him. You begin to look more like Jesus. Jesus is described as a man of many sorrows, acquainted with grief, but we get to look like him. We get to have character. We get to, because of grief and loss, because of our suffering, we get new strength. We get new muscles like, ah, I I experienced a dark night of the soul. I've been through this. I know I can get through this next season of life. I've walked through uh, cancer. I've, I've experienced chemotherapy, and I've overcome. I know I can make it through this next thing. I've experienced my business crumble, but I've also seen God bring back my business. I know I can make it through the next thing. I've, I've seen my child go away from me, but I've, I know God has met me here. I know I can get through the next thing. I've lost a child. I've experienced miscarriage. I've experienced the blessing of a child, or I'm still waiting. But I know God has met me. I know you can get me through the next thing because everything in this painful moment has, I've been met with an encounter with God. And it's changed my life. You get new perseverance. You walk with a new swag. You walk with new confidence, with new authority. And it builds character. You may have one time been someone who may have been immoral or mistrust or brought a breach in your your marriage or relationship. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you still get to become a man or a woman of integrity. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't forgotten about you. You may have been struggling with addiction, alcohol, pornography, masturbation, drugs, whatever it may be, but you've experienced the power of God, and you can become someone who's pure, holy, and walks in righteousness with God. Yeah. You may have lost, again, a child and experienced the emptiness in your arms, but you have experienced the power of God, and you have a new compassion for other people that you did not have before. That's the power of God. You have new character, and character brings hope. Character brings hope. Because you've experienced darkness, you get to hope in Jesus. Because you've experienced pain and loss, but you've experienced pain with Jesus, you get to have hope that, ah, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God, I may have lost everything I know to be true, but joy will come in the morning. Mm. I'll have the worship team come up. God also says he works all things for the good. That requires trust and hope and faith that your painful experience, God can and will use it for his glory. Scripture tells us that His grace is sufficient. His power made perfect in our weakness. We get to delight in our brokenness, y'all. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to mourn. God welcomes it. And it's in those moments we get to see the power of God because it's not our own strength. It's his. It's not our own strength that we get out of bed. It's his. It's not our own strength that we're able to take a shower for once. It's his. It's not our own strength that we can dare to hope again. It's his. It's not our own strength that we're able to see hope for the future. It's his. We get to delight in our brokenness and say, God, I can't make it, but with you I can. God, this sucks, but with you I can make it. Your power is made perfect in my weakness, so I'm going to delight in it. 
I'm not going to be a victim. Catch that. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to say, oh, Lord, everything is just awful. Ah, it's their fault. She cut me off and I, I, yeah, no, 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 no. I got issues driving. Anyway, (laughs) that's another thing. But we get to delight. Ah, Jesus, I know I'm not alone. You're with me. I see you carrying me. It's the grace of God that I'm able to even to preach about this thing. It's the grace of God that I can look back in my life and say, wow, Lord, in my brokenness, I didn't see this to be a reality, but I'm, I'm speaking on brokenness and how you've met me there and how your word reveals that you're present. So lastly, and we'll do communion. This one is true for each and every one of you guys in this room. I see it in this room. You all have a story. Say, I have a story. Say, I have a story. You have a story because God uses story to advance the kingdom of God. I see a bunch of people in this room that have been comforted, but now you're moving into a season of being a comforter. I've just been giving you stuff, and it's just going... You've been and experienced God as a comforter, but now you get to be a comforter. Your pain works for you. Your pain means something. Your pain matters. Your pain is meant not just for you, but other people get to benefit from it. 2 Corinthians 3 to 7, um, 2 Corinthians verse 3 to 7 says, "Praise Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, say all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also we share in our comfort. Comforted to comforter. Comforted to comforter. You've been comforted. Now you get to be a comforter. You've experienced God in your pain. You've experienced God in the miscarriage. You've experienced God in the depression. You've experienced God in the anxiety. You've experienced God in in, in the business loss. You've experienced God walking through disease, chemotherapy, loss of uh, family, loss of relationship in your own Um, abuse, sexual abuse, you've experienced God and the comfort of God in all of those moments, you now get to be a comforter for others, walking through the same thing that you walk through. You have a story and it matters. And I pray that shame would be released from somebody tonight from what they've been through. I pray that shame from the addiction that you may have had would be released today. I pray that shame from somebody mishandling your heart would be released today. I pray that shame would be released from your life because you have a story and Satan, the adversary, does not want people to be free. Because you have a key through the Holy Spirit that gets to unlock freedom for someone. And yes, God can do whatever he wants with whoever. He can use a donkey. 
I, I, anyway. <laughs> but your story has the ability to lock someone else's freedom. Because it's God's transformative work in your life that enables that to happen. So own your story. You've been comforted by God. Now you get to comfort others. Your grief isn't just for you. It changes you and it changes everyone around you. My girls see a better dad. Because I walked through my grief. My brother you guys see a better version of me because I walk and walking through my grief. My job sees a better version because I've walked through my grief. And because I've walked through my grief, I now have eyes to see and understand grief to where I don't mishandle your grief. Where I'm like, ah, oh, I remember what it was like when I heard the flat line. And I'm not going to rush to answers. I'm going to sit with you. Mm. I remember seeing the blood in the toilet from miscarriage. I understand. I'm going to sit with you. I remember going through family origin and unpacking and still unpacking that stuff. And as you come aware of the things that you're working through, I understand. I'm going to sit with you. You are now comforters. Now go comfort. Today, go comfort. Yeah, you got a story. I'm looking at you. Seriously, you have a story. People need to hear what you've been through. I don't know your name, but I feel like you've been through some things, and God has met you in all of your pain and suffering. He's been there with you even when you don't see it and haven't seen it. He wants to use it for his glory. Yeah, he wants to use you. He wants to use you, though. He wants to use you, sis. Comforters in this room. You all are comforters. Go comfort today. Please, don't keep your story to yourself. Your grief, and of course, it's like, man, grief has got to do something. I'm not going to walk through this for no reason. This has to be for something. And it is true, God works all things for the good. So we're going to take communion. You want to, I don't have a. Sorry, I went over. Like I said, I'm sorry. I know we got another service. But this is a, a reminder of the power of God. That story that is so true and real that this is not possible without this. It's not possible without the cross. We don't have a story without God dying for our sins and resurrecting from the grave. We would be grieving without hope. We would, be sharing a, we would be sharing our stories without means to an end. Because grief also with the kingdom, we have a perspective towards heaven. On the eternal. So take the body, the cracker that was beaten for you and I. Take it and eat. And the blood that was spilled for you and I, every lash that, he's, that he took and he bled for you and I, take it and drink. Father, I pray that you would meet us in our pain. 
God, I don't have the answers why, but I know what you've done, and I know what we can become, and I pray that we're all able to receive that today. In Jesus' name, amen.